Anyway, we're going to be looking at Psalm 84, and I'm going to ask Jesus to come and to read the psalm for us. Um, so I'm reading um, from the NIV, Psalm 84. It says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord God Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh, my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are never... They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of spring. The autumn and rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on your our shield, O God. Look with favor on our anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose way of life is blameless. Lord God Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Thank you, Jesus. Um, just to say at the beginning, worship's really important in church, isn't it? I often feel it's like a platform into what God perhaps wants to say to us individually or corporately that we do worship now. It, often it means when you come to church, as was said, you don't feel like worshipping at times. You've had a hard week and you've got to kind of drag it up from the depths of you to try and say, I'm going to worship you anyway and I'm going to praise you. But there is something so uplifting when you do it. There is something that just makes things disappear. Now, not completely like circumstances that go on, but something that says, God, I'm putting you first and I'm looking to you. And I want to say this just now, God loves that. He loves to hear people, especially the sacrifices of praise. It's easy when you're feeling great, but when you want to do it, when you're feeling kind of low, God says, wow. There's a faith side to it, there's a trust side to it, and it's great, and it gives God the opportunity to come and to bless you and to help you in that situation. So I really encourage you just to, um, to, to praise God and um, to give yourself over to it. Some people think I'm very enthusiastic, but I've been doing it a long time, so I don't care <laughs> at the end of the day. But I used to, I was saying to Martha the other day, the first time I raised my hands, I felt every eye in church was looking at me because, uh, you know, I've never done it before, and I closed my eyes and just felt very self-conscious at times, but sometimes it's good. You know, they do that in heaven. They do it in heaven. They actually throw their crowns before God. They fall flat on their faces. They make a lot of noise in heaven, and if I'm going to be there fairly soon at some, well, <laughs> as Martha would tell me when she checks the bills, that... <laughs> The, the reality of it is that you're going to be there and we're going to be praising God and it's going to come flowing out of us. i tell you something, and I really, really believe this, when we're in heaven, you're not going to be able to help yourself. Not at all. You're going to have one look at the Father, the glory of God, and you're going to fall flat on your face in thanksgiving and worship. So I'm starting now just to get myself prepared. We're looking at Psalm 84, which is the last of the series of Out to the 
depths. And um, we've been considering some aspect. I need my glasses for this, I think. Yeah. The, um, we've been considering the Psalms over the past number of weeks, and this is the culmination of it. And we'll be considering aspects and diverse ways of how that we can pray, um, which has been really good for me because I've got one usual way to pray, which is usually complaining, you know. Uh, one of the ways that I, I do like to pray is when, I, when I'm outside. I don't know if anybody ever does prayer walking themselves. I, I tend to pray better when I'm prayer walking. I've been doing it for lots and lots and lots of years of just prayer walking. The only awkward time is when a jogger runs past you and he hears, hears you pray and he thinks you're crazy. <laughs> but um, that's happened to me a few times, but I love to pray outside. But the diverse ways of praying has been really good for us. And I was looking at some of the things that have came out was like prayers of praise that came out through the Psalms, the prayers of depression, prayers of faith, prayers of weariness, prayers of injustice, and prayers of repentance. And if anybody remembers last week's with Ian on Psalm 51, you know, I'm glad we get past that one after. <laughs> I really do. I think I'm in there somewhere, Lord. And, uh, but it was so good to hear that even in, in David's plight, even in his troubles, there's a prayer of repentance that you can come before God and God accepts you just as you are. Um, so you should feel good about yourself if David could do that. Psalm 84 kind of pulls all these prayers together and it brings out from the psalm the importance of remaining in Christ regardless of the situation or the circumstances that you find yourselves to be in. It covers the prayer of abiding or remaining. It'll be up there in the psalm, I think, um, who dwells. But it's a word of abiding. And abiding, I think, is a very important thing as far as prayer goes. Because there are times when you feel unable to pray. I don't know if you ever get that. I just sometimes run out of steam with God. Um, and sometimes I just have to kind of sit and say, I'm going to say nothing. Or sometimes I just choose to say nothing, just to sit before God and to remain in him. And abiding is a big key to sitting before God and being silent. So sometimes when you're unable to pray, you don't know what to pray, there's a place where you don't have to say anything. Now, I don't know what your prayer life, but I feel I've got to say everything to God, but sometimes you don't need to say anything. And there's a faith side to that when you don't say anything. It's saying, God, I'm in you and I'm trusting in you. I don't have to say many things. And it gives God a chance to speak to you as well or to lay something on your heart. Sometimes it's good to have that. Just, I'm in you, I'm sitting in you, and you love me, and I just want to be here, okay? Just sit in his presence at times and be still, and it's a prayer also. The importance is... And all of these prayers is that we are close to God, that we stay close to Jesus, okay? Now, Psalm 91 and 1 and 2 is one of my favourite psalms. The verse says, whoever dwells or whoever abides in the presence or the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And then the psalm, it says, it says you know, I will trust in the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress my God in whom I trust. From that first psalm, he says, I will trust in the Lord for my life. I will remain in him. So whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. 
Now, I, I, it's from the Psalms, but if you can imagine that just being in the, the right place with God, dwelling in God, abiding in God, looking to God, trusting in God, you'll rest with the shadow of God watching over you in your life all the time. We heard testimony today a little bit of how God cares for our needs. We see where he knows every intimate detail about us and he knows how to care for us. Remaining in God, abiding in God, you'll have the shadow of God looking over you. Now there's implications for that for you and for me today. Am I abiding in God? Am I resting in God? Am I trusting in God? And one thing I would say about the Psalms, um, some of the, the, the commentaries that I've read over recently said, although these are the Psalms, some of these Psalms are the Psalms of Korah, some people relate it to David because they get a perfume when you read the Psalms of David and what he went through. All these prayers that we've heard and types of prayer, David went through. He was depressed, he was weary, he was, he was tired, um, but he abided in God. And in Psalm 51, even then, we can see that he came before God. My sin is ever before me. I can't live in a state of sin, Lord. Some people can, you know. Even sometimes as Christians, we can harden our hearts to God. And we can, we can, we can find that we're actually drifting away from God. We're, we're departing. But David always realized when he sinned and when he failed. And even then, okay, it took a year for him to come but that year must have been a dreadful year for David. And the word of God says in 1 Samuel is that he, David was a man after God's own heart. I used to think when I read that, David's a man after God's heart, after what happened with Bathsheba. But, you know, how can he possibly say he was a man after my heart? A man after heart because he needed God and he knew he could go to God and he wanted God and even though he failed he couldn't even handle the fact that Lord how could I fail so badly in front of you he had a heart after God and God said it about him this is a man after my heart and that gives me encouragement to feel that well I'm a man after God's heart I want God and I want you to think about that today am I seeking God do I want God totally when anything is going on in my life, do I go to God? When I'm tempted uh, or I fail, do I still find my way back and say, God, I failed you, I let you down, or I shouldn't have done that? God welcomes you because you've got a heart after God. So keep that in your heart today. The Bible says, let everything in the Old Testament it points to Jesus, who is the Messiah. And we see in, in this Psalm 84 that the psalmist is on a, a physical journey. And we'll cover some of the, the, the kind of finer details that in a second or two. But we are Christians, we're on a spiritual journey. I like the idea of being on a journey in God. I know that, that uh, the difference between the, the psalmist and us is that we're not looking towards a physical temple. We're not looking to a, a tabernacle in the wilderness to, to find out exactly where we need to be in God. When Jesus died for us on the cross, the curtain in the temple was split in two, and we have total access to God at any time. We can be in God and we can be with him uh, at any time that we want to, we can go to him. So the psalmist was looking at the temple to be in the presence of God, and we see Jesus dying for our sins. And when we come to God... Um, it gives us full access to the Father. 
And when we're born again and filled with his Holy Spirit, we cry out something to God, which is Abba, Father. It's not, Father, I come to you, Holy God. It's Daddy, I come to you. Where God welcomes you like a, a father would pick up his child in his arms and say, Ach, I just love you. I just uh, think you're wonderful. I think you're amazing. Whereas sometimes even we as Christians, we're so formal with God that you almost think, Lord, do you know how much he cares about you? And that's what happens when you receive Jesus into your life. That's what happens when you become filled with his Holy Spirit. There's a something inside you that cries out, Abba, Father, um, I'm with God. And that is, is just wonderful. In short, you come into a relationship with God. And <clears throat> I wanted to dwell on that a little bit because some people think, or Christians sometimes, you think you have to earn a relationship with God. Some people think that you have to do certain things or pray for hours or fast or do various things before you can come into the presence of God. When we receive Jesus into our life, we come into a relationship. And the whole thing about Christianity, the whole thing about God is relationship. It's all about, he loves me, he cares about me. Um, I, I, I know I shared at, at one point that many, many years ago, uh, I got a, I'll call it a picture of uh, myself coming out of a, a car in my home. And uh, in, the, in the process of getting out of my car, this might sound maybe bizarre to somebody, it was as if Jesus was standing just along the road from me. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, there's Jesus. What am I going to say to him? First of all, I want to apologize for everything. <laughs> I wanted, my head was down thinking, what am I going to say? What's he going to say? And I'll tell you this, if this will help you and encourage you. It was as if Jesus came close to me, put his arm around my shoulder and said, hi, Dennis, it's good to see you. He wasn't interested in all the prelude to that. He was more interested in me. And I'll, I, I, I want that to encourage you today to realize that this whole thing about our Christian life is about relationship. And also it's about how we respond to God as well. It's so easy that we can just drift away. So easy to just depart from God and we bust the relationship. But the great thing about Jesus is he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Every time you turn around, I'm going to be right there. And how many times as Christians we've ran from God? How many times they, well, God, you're just in the way. At times that we want to go down that road. Well, every time you go down the road you want to go, he's still standing there saying, I love you. I want to show you the right way to go. This is a relationship thing. And if you have a problem with relationship, if you have a problem with that idea of God, get into it and find out how much he cares about your every need. We heard from Alice again, just the simple things. Um, I was talking to Anna, and she was telling me how God provided paint for our house. Now, that might not seem very spiritual to the way we might think, but God provided paint. And I sat there in gross listening to Anna about how B&Q was used by God <laughs> for somebody to mix a certain amount of paint. And uh, it was basically there for Anna, and she got it cheap <laughs> on what she could afford at the time. And God knew all about that as well. You've only got a certain amount of money, Anna. So we'll make it sure that you get it for the right price. <laughs> Um, who needs a sale when you've got God? That right? <laughs> he will provide for us. <clears throat> so we need to dwell in the presence of the Most High in the shelter. And Anna may have been thinking to herself, Lord, 
how am I going to manage with this? What am I going to do? How can I do it? I can't get pain, etc. That's a natural way. But she's abiding in God, and she's strolling along to be in queue. And uh, before she knows it, she's walking out with a ton of paint, thinking, I got that for a fiver. <laughs> or something to that. That's how much God cares. But that's part of the relationship, guys, that we need to have as we uh, look to God and as we trust in him. Because we're shouting out, Daddy, I need your help today. And God loves to know that um, we're crying out unto him. The Bible says... Um, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We've got a part to play in that, and that's all part of abiding. Another, another verse, uh, that's in Matthew 22, 37. It was also in the Old Testament as part of the law. I think it was the first commandment. In Matthew 6, 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I want to say this this morning, that your heart's the most important thing to God. God's always looked for people of the heart, always. He wanted people who really wanted God more than they wanted anything else. Our heart is deceitful above all things. At times we deceive ourselves about things that we want to get, but we actually know that God doesn't want us to have it. So, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we've all got treasures in our life, haven't we? We've all got things that we want. Right, you know, you want to be this person in life, or I would like to be that person. Um, I don't know what you're thinking about, Madonna. Well, I wouldn't be Madonna now. Beyonce. Yes, you might think, oh, I'd like to be like that, or I would like to be a famous singer, or, uh, you know, um, Britain's Got Talent, or whatever. You go on it, and you want to be somebody like that, and it might not be working out for you. You know, but sometimes we can think, oh, God's not coming across. I'm just going to go this road in my life. Sometimes it might be a relationship. I have seen so many relationships that weren't right for people and people enter into it and they get shipwrecked with it. The relationship you want to have in life is the relationship or marriage that, uh, that God gives you and you just know it's right for you and you're together. That's how I've got Martha. She keeps me right. God, God handpicked her. <laughs> absolutely. And me for her, of course. Yes, absolutely. So, what I want to really just put that across in the whole thing is Psalm 84 is focusing on the relationship that we have with God. It's described in verse 5 also as a pilgrimage, a journey. And I like journeys, so a pilgrimage suits me right. A journey, and like all journeys, it's got a beginning. Uh, uh, the journey in itself and it's got an end it's got a goal and we can see that and we have that as a Christian life because we have to come to Jesus which is the beginning of our story then we've got the middle part of what working it all out the pilgrimage but the other other one is the that we're going to arrive in heaven and we're going to be with God forever and that's where we focus and so it's a, a journey the other thing is what we have to watch is when Jesus described the Pharisees and teachers about the heart, he says, this people worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I don't want to be religious. I want relationship. And it's so easy to slip into religion. And I have seen so many individuals in churches and it's cold and it's empty and there's no heart in it. And the danger can be we become religious. You may have been brought up in church sometimes, but you get into the habit of being and doing church in your life, and suddenly you don't realize whether your heart is either cold, hot, or lukewarm. 
And we have to be looking at that, Lord, if I'm in fire, am I still for you in my life? Because God wants our hearts. And if he could say that to religious people who were obviously meant to be the leaders of, of the people of Israel, and he said, you've got all the trappings, you've got all the look, you know how to stand up and sing a hymn, you know how to go through all the, the law, you can even maybe know your Bible really, really well, but your hearts are far from me. I'm looking for a people of the heart. So that abiding thing is God's love for you, and it's your love for God. And it's so easy for us to stray and lose out. And when we hear about the prayers that we've heard, all the prayers <coughs> that we've heard, the psalmist, whether it was David, sons of Korah, or whoever, all had a heart for God. And in their weariness, in their depression, in their kind of uncertainty or whatever's going on, God can handle it as long as our hearts are looking to him all the time and saying, God, I'm finding it really difficult to believe that you're going to come across with us. Where are you, God? Have you ever said that in your Christian life? I've been saying it for 50 years. Where are you, God, in this situation? You don't like me anymore, God, because things go wrong. Things don't work out the way I want them to. In fact, things at times can go badly wrong. And then you're looking round about and the heavens can seem so cold. They can seem so dry. You think, where are you, God? But I'm going to stay in you anyway. Because who else has got the words of eternal life? It was Peter who said that. Why are you not leaving, Peter? Why are you not departing when all the rest of the disciples have listened to it, they've seen the healings, the miracles, and yet they go away from me? Why are you not? Because you've got the words of eternal life, Lord. You've got the, I've got nowhere else to go. And somebody said that to me, Dennis. Why? Why do you keep going? I said, because I've nowhere else to go. Nowhere else to go. You might think, I've got a lot of places I want to go. I've nowhere else to go. Don't get me wrong in that one. There's a lot of places I might like to go, but God doesn't want me to do it. He wants me to go his way. And thank God, in the majority of things, I've stuck with it. Not always. Not always. So, we've got four main points in this one, Psalm 84. First one is heart for God. Second is the heart to go on the journey. The third one is to continue in the heart for the destination. So the journey starts heart for God in verse 1 to 3. And um, I want to, I like painting a little bit of a picture when, I, when I'm speaking. And you've got to want God. You've got to want God before you go on the journey. Sometimes I think is, is um, when you're in churches and it's if you want to receive Jesus, you can put up your hand. And um, I think sometimes, you know, we've got to kind of lay out a wee bit more than that because I have seen so many people think, yeah, I love that and nothing happens and there's no change to them at all. But you've got to want God. And I'm looking, <laughs> just to back that up, is one of my favourite books that I got when I was first saved was Pilgrim's Progress. Anybody ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Oh, you, most of you. Shut up then, will I? <laughs> Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan is a man appalled by what he sees of his life. He's appalled. He didn't want to be there. He's in the city of destruction. He's recognising it for what it is. He wants something more in his life. He longs for life, real life, 
eternal life, it says. The story goes that he must find the path that leads to the celestial city. It's a physical journey. I've got a place to go. I was going to put a picture of the celestial city, but I don't think I would do it justice from Pilgrim's Progress. But he'd, he'd somewhere he, he wanted to go. He wanted a way. He was looking for a path that leads to the celestial city. We might not be looking for the celestial city, but we're looking for an answer to you and an answer to me today. You might be saying to yourself, I just want to know who I am and where I fit, because this world doesn't um, really answer the question for me. He wants his heart's true home, where he belonged. Where he belonged, there is something in every human being in the world that's got somewhere in them that says, I'm longing for something deep within me, and they try to answer it with various things in life. You know, my wife likes romantic movies. She forces me to watch them. <laughs> I like the action, so we negotiate. But some of them, you can see that, you know, it's the woman falls in love in, in the situation, and she thinks by meeting the perfect man or something, that, you know, that's going to answer it all. It doesn't really, does it, ladies? <laughs> the man may not be super perfect. He might have faults. And, and vice versa. So they invest in that relationship. Or they go down that road thinking that's going to answer. Or if I get wealth, or if I get a position in life, or if I get this or I get that, that's going to answer it. But if we look at the world out there and we see what's going on, you see that everybody outside of Jesus is investing in something and it isn't working. It's not working for them. There is something in people that are looking for something that is going to answer them and it's going to answer the whole purpose of what am I doing here? What's my purpose? What is, um, what's it all about? So where he belongs, it says that he begins to run and he begins to run for the people in the city of destruction and he has to put his fingers in his ears from all his friends and his family and their protests all the while crying out, life, life, eternal life. He had to put his fingers in his ears. I remember when I got saved, you know, I went to my family, I had found Jesus, and it was dramatic for me. I don't think, God just knew what I needed at that moment in time. And I went in to tell my whole family I'd found Jesus, and I thought they would all just go, wonderful. They didn't. <laughs> they kind of looked at me and thought, he's having a breakdown. You know, what do you mean? Oh, it's good that you find God, but have a little bit of God. That's okay, you can fit that into your life because um, they're good people. Um, my, my family are all uh, Catholic and I, I've not got any difficulty with that, but you often find it's good to have your religion, but then you put your life out here. It's not. But they were quite pleased as long as you keep it in perspective. Don't forget about your life, what you're doing, where you're going, your ambition, what you're going to get. And I came out devastated because I had found Jesus. And of course, I thought they would see the way I could see, but they didn't. They just basically, a great family, still love me, which is great, but the fact was they just weren't glad. They would rather see me going through my life looking empty in some respects, but that, that's, uh, that's just you know what you've got to just kind of do sort of thing, but God, oh, that's another matter altogether. So Pilgrim put his fingers in his ears, and I had to put my fingers in his ears and say, even if my family don't want me, I'm still going, because this is important to me. This, this is it. This is the whole thing. And I had to almost like spiritually put my fingers in my ears and say, I'm not listening to people. 
Because it says here, not only did his friends and family try and coax him, they also got aggressive with him and uptight with him and angry with him. And sometimes if you, with friends or family or people that you, you've known in, in, in life, and suddenly you're breaking away, they don't want to know you. I lost every friend I had when I became a Christian. But do you know something? At that moment, I didn't care. Or I didn't mind, let's put it that way. I didn't care, they're not, not quite right. Martha always pulled me up for that one. Didn't mind the fact that they were leaving me. I had Jesus. I had Jesus, my fingers and my ears. And what I was doing, I was running. I was running because I wanted the answer. Now, I was going to ask if people have read The Hobbit. No? You've read The Hobbit, good. So have I. And um, in fact, I'm in the process of reading it. I always like the book, you know. Um, it's great when you're, you know, you're with kids and, you know, come through it. They, they love the idea of all the different situations. But I found it, Bilbo Baggins himself, if you don't know this one, he lived in a comfortable house with a quiet, contented life. And his attitude to adventures that they were nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things. Yeah. Uh, of which he had no use whatsoever and were very contrary to his natural fearful disposition. Now, without me going over the whole story of the Hobbit, you'll be here all day. The same Hobbit, a little while later, ran from his house, it says, at a quarter to eleven, without so much as a pocket handkerchief. Which was very important to Bilbo. He'd built this life round about him that was safe, secure and wonderful. And he launched on an adventure that would change his life forever. He launched on it. And if you read the story, I think, there we are. It's not even written as a Christian story particularly, but there you are, how people see adventures, where you're going, the, the destination. And in that, oh my goodness, he faced up to ogres and giants and spiders and all sorts of things, but he began to find who he was. And what he was created for, and it's the same for you and me, when we go on the journey with Jesus, when we abide in him, when we rest in him. And you've got to have that desire which he had in him that overcame himself to say, no, I have found a place that I want to go. There is something in me that says I have to go and you forsake all else. That's really important. So, the first point I want to make is you've got to have a heart for God if you're going to go with God. And there are many obstacles that will hit you to try and pull you back and stop you from even reaching that. Okay. And we see in the psalm that the psalmist wanted God. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrows found a home and the swallow a nest for herself. He was jealous of sparrows. He was jealous of um, swallows resting perhaps in the tabernacle in the wilderness. I couldn't picture that in the temple. But he wanted to be there with all his heart. It's where his heart was at. I want to be where you are, God. I want to be in the place that you are. And so, basically, that heart's desire was there for God. Um, I think I've just, yeah. So we have to have a heart um, for God. And the heart to go is, 
in verse 5, if you look at that, the idea of a pilgrimage, the idea of a journey, someone experiencing exile, living as a pilgrim or sojourner on a quest for a homeland. I don't belong here. This is not my home. I don't fit. My heart is somewhere else. Pilgrims don't look back in life. They look forward, and they look forward to a destination. It also says that they're blessed because they look to Jesus who gets them there. They worship and they praise the living God. So a pilgrimage is that you have got a destination. And the one thing that we have to think of as a Christian, we've got a destination and we need to be absolutely focused on it, 100%. When things come along, when things might take you out of the road that God has taken you for, uh, forward on, we have to be looking to God and trusting in God for that pilgrimage. And the only way you can do that, the word of God says, you put your hand to the plough and you, uh, you, you, you make a straight furrow for yourself and you look to get to the end and to your destination when all things could be going wrong round about you, where there could be chaos and difficulties, things that might divert you to, to the left or to the right. God wants you to go forward and to look towards. So you've got to have a heart to go on a pilgrimage. If I wanted to go to a pilgrimage and I was walking and, and I was taking, I would have to look at that. I've got a destination and I'm going to get there and I have my plan and I'm going to go there no matter what comes along. And I want to say this to you as well because on the journey as we saw with Pilgrim, you will face any amount of situations, any amount of situations that will take you out. I have seen so many brothers and sisters who were in fire for God, who were zealous for God in a few years. They're completely out of that wonderful relationship with God. They're away from it. They've hardened their hearts. They've been taken out and you can get taken out by anything. And one of the main things that you can get taken out about, I don't understand God of what's going on. You know, when, when, uh, when Satan said to Eve, did God really mean this? He uses, us, uh, he uses that to try and deceive us. Did God really say that? Does God really care about you, this part of the journey? Otherwise, he would sort all that out for you or he would give you that which you wanted to get. He doesn't really care about you. He continually will say and try to deceive you because if he can get you off the path, he can shipwreck you. It's important that we've got a heart to go and realise that pilgrimage, you need to go for it and you need to go with it with all your heart. So, the heart to continue, whatever it takes, is that heart. And that's in verse 6 and 7. And it says, As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rain covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. The valley of Baca is the valley of drought or the valley of weeping. It's a desert where there is temptation, discouragement, disappointment in the world. Yeah, how many times as a Christian have you wept? How many times have you, you wept before God? Um, because you are in a very dry, difficult place. Things have happened that have affected you badly. But what the psalmist says, they make it a place of springs, a place where we can learn from it, a place where we can uh, take our nourishment from it. Because a desert is a desert at the end of the day, and there's a, a destination to get through that desert, and there's no easy way through it. It's got to be straight through the desert, but there are places where God will give you what you need. He won't always give you what you want, but he'll give you what you need as you go through it because you're in pilgrimage. 
you're heading on that road. You know where you want to go. And if it's a desert in front of me, I might only be just plodding along with the heat and I might not be skipping and jumping or anything like that, but I am going through that desert. And in the desert, God provides for you. In the desert, God will say, look, here's a place where you can take some water and nourish yourself. Here's a place where I can take care of you. Here's a place where I'll give you this. But it might be not exactly what you want. But you're on a pilgrimage, and so you take it and you learn from it, and you give yourself up, and off you go again. That's a heart thing, guys. That's what God wants from us. That's to do with our hearts in God and saying, God, I'm set on pilgrimage. My heart is with you. And when we read about the prayers of praise and the prayers of depression and the prayers of faith and all the different prayers that we hear, you think that's what people go through in life. That's what David went through, but he had a heart after God. And sometimes we've just got to look at the content of our heart and, and, and say to ourselves, well, that's where I am as well. So the Valley of Baca is a certainty for Christians because it's a place where you learn. It's also a place where your heart's tested. I remember um, Deuteronomy chapter 8, God spoke to me many years ago. God speaks to me sometimes as well. But he said to me, you know, I have led you this way through the wilderness for 40 years to see what's in your heart. Now, I was going through a really difficult time, money-wise and everything else-wise. And, you know, people were saying, God wants to prosper you and wants to bless you. And I thought, well, when's it going to arrive here? And he gave me this word, and it was so clear to me. I've led you this way these 40 years. It wasn't 40 years. It was just a journey, a spiritual journey to test what's in your heart. Will you stick with me, Dennis? Will you stay with me? Will you trust me no matter what? I want your heart in the situation. I want, I, I want you in the situation. But now, your heart's tested. It's not tested to say, oh, I'll just throw something in your way for the fun of it. It changes you from the inside. And when God changes you from the inside, you become more like Jesus. You become more like him. You become a different person than from what? you started. Now it speaks about valleys. Many of you went through what seems like valleys. I used to have the idea of a valley was like um, when you went into a valley in your life you could look back and think well I can still see the sunshine and then you're going through the difficulty and then you don't see the sunshine and then you, after a while you wonder if there is a sun. Never mind anything else. But God knows how to get you in and he knows how to get you out of situations. Stick with him. That's important. That's a heart to continue the difficulties and you go from strength to strength. And sometimes you get weaker in yourself. Weaker in yourself. God has to sort of change things in you so that you can put more of Jesus in you. Okay, I'm nearly getting there. I realise time's going. And that, as we keep going until we get arrive, arrive at our destination, I'll, I'll say one other thing uh, which I'd put in here was that many years ago, um, again, <laughs> I seem to go through a lot of difficulties, but difficulty is a Christian. And God gave me a picture of me standing in a cottage and I'm looking out the window of the cottage and there's a storm out there, I mean a blizzard storm, and there is a fire at my back. And he very clearly just said to me, what do you want to do? How gracious he is. What do you want to do, Dennis? And believe me, I looked at the fire and I thought, oh, that looks so inviting. <laughs> that looks so wonderful. I'm sick of storms, Lord. I'm sick of difficulties. It was a real kind of thing. And I can say 
at that moment in time, I thought, I don't have a choice here. I've got to go out in the storm. I've got to go out and go with you, Lord. But you gave me that. You can. I'll still love you, Dennis. I'll still care about you. I'll still be there. But what do you want to do when you go out in the storm? And I did. And sometimes I think, did I make the right choice? Because it's kind of like that, isn't it? But my heart was, where are you? And where can I find you? Okay. Blessed is the one who uh, trusts in the Lord. The heart's destination is a heart that has been humbled. And um, I would rather, it says, be a doorkeeper than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Described as a day in God's dwelling is better than a thousand elsewhere. You know, I think, <laughs> reading up the commentaries, but part of the duty of the sons of Korah was to first in, last out at the door. But it was also, I would rather be where God is than all the temptations that are out there. I don't want to be in the house of the wicked because there's nothing there. Even the temptations that look good in your eyes, there's nothing there if it's not where God wants you to be. He knew what his heart it was meant to be. And verse 8 and 9, just, I'm, I'm almost kind of finished here. He's been humbled and then he prays. He looks away from himself, his needs, etc. And he prays for the king, possibly David or Solomon, as I, as I kind of read. He prays for the anointed one. And I would say that praying for the king was because it was God's blessing came through the king to the people of Israel and would protect them from their enemies. And he was perhaps thinking along the lines of David, Lord, remember your anointed one. We've got an anointed one, and his name is Jesus. And that Jesus sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us continually. He paid a price for us on the cross. He, he, he died for our sins. He's risen again. We're going to be with him. Father, remember them. He's at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Help them on the journey. Help them in the way that they're going to go. God's always with you. As he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's our light. It says he's our son. He's our protector. He's our provision. And no good thing does he withhold. That's to encourage you that his presence is always with us. He always looks after us. He always cares for us. And he provides for us. Blessed is the one who trusts in him. And finally, all I want to say is this. There's a, a marvellous book called The Sacred Romance. If you ever get a chance to read it by Brent Curtis and Johnny Eldridge, and it says, The Christian life is a love affair of the heart. If you can get it, it's worth a read. People were made and longed for something more, a love affair and adventure, something more than what the world provides and only God can fulfill. Do you see yourself in that kind of situation? I'm a romanticist, I think it's great. I love it. I love the idea of it. It's a love affair of the heart. It's Jesus loves me and I want to learn to love him and between us we'll get there. It's an adventure and it's the adventure that you were made for. You were made for an adventure in God and, and you were made and yeah the road gets difficult at times but it's an adventure and somewhere in us we are longing for that adventure. We want to go in that adventure. We don't want to stop and feel, well, where else is there to go? So, people were made and longed for something more, a love affair and adventure, and yet we can look for it in so many other places. Something more than what the world provides and only God can fulfill. So often, when we look elsewhere, it leaves you empty and shipwrecked. If there's any wisdom I would give you today is shipwrecked and empty if you don't keep going for God. 
There's nothing, nothing out there. Christian in Pilgrim's Progress just saw the city was meant for destruction and it was going to be destroyed. The world, in one sense, we can see where it's going. There is nothing out there that is going to fulfill us, but we can be fulfilled in Jesus. It's also a psalm of abiding, remaining in God, sticking with it, staying sweet through our circumstances, life situations, and keeping close to God. Again, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. He's got your back. He's got you covered. And it's a psalm of prayer. Our prayers are so often about what we want to see happening and our desires. I, I covered them. I won't cover anymore what we can get. And our prayers are often, and sometimes, guys, we pray and we're not abiding. We think, well, I don't want particularly God interfering too much in my life, but I'll pray. Solve this, solve that, solve the next thing. Our prayers are what we pray and should be praying when we're remaining in God. And that's why David was a man after God's heart. Because he cried out to God in the situation. Lord, it's you I look to. It's you for every circumstance and situation. That's abiding prayer and covering all the rest of the prayers and bring it together. God will see you through that situation, but we need to remain in him. And sometimes, guys, it also means that just sit before him. If you're in God and you think, oh my goodness, I'm going through things, but my heart's for God, take some time just to sit in his presence. Just to sit there and say, Lord, I'm in you, that in itself is more or less saying, basically, Lord, I trust you with all my heart and with all my soul and with everything that I am. I've travelled this far on the journey. I want to keep going. Let's pray. Mm -hmm.